So today we're going to continue in our counterculture series. We have a couple of weeks left, but before that, um, let me let me highlight something that we're going to be doing here in uh, just about a week. Um, we're going to open up the church uh, to pray for our nation. Um, from the hours of six in the morning until six in the evening, the sanctuary will be open. Um, I, I think we can all agree that our country needs prayer, right? Our country needs prayer, and I think we can all agree that prayer works. And that prayer changes things, and that God calls on us to pray. And so from the moment, from, the, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., this is going to be open for us to come and pray. Now listen, I, I know you can pray from home, right? You can pray from home, and the Lord hears you. But let me encourage you to take time out of whatever schedule you have and to intentionally come into the place that we gather together to worship God and pray. Uh, we're going to have some uh, sheets that will be out for you um, that will just give a couple of things that you can pray for on top of whatever else uh, you might already have planned to pray for. Um, but the church needs to pray for this election. The church needs to pray for this nation. And we need to pray fervently. Anywhere from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., I'm going to be here. I hope to see you as well. So today we're going to continue in our counterculture series. So far we've looked at things like being a light unto the world. We've looked at the sanctity of life. We've looked at sexuality and we've looked at racism. And today we're going to look at the topic of the environment. Now, you might be wondering why we're talking about the environment. Well, the environment is one of the major talking points in culture today. Topics like global warming, climate change. As a matter of fact, it's going to be in the next presidential debate as well, as it was in the first one, as it has been in other debates in the past. The younger generation in particular is extremely concerned about the environment. A proper biblical understanding is necessary on this issue. Because many people are lost when it comes to how Christians should respond to the environment and what our perspective should be. If you remember back a couple of weeks ago when talking about sexuality, I mentioned a study that was done by Barna Research Group that indicated teens and young adults aged 13 to 24 believe that not recycling is more immoral than viewing pornography. See, a proper worldview is necessary in order to grasp so many talking points that are shared by so many different people. So, as we've done before, we're going to set the foundation, and then we're going to work into practical things that we can do in our lives in understanding some of these things. But let me give you a little bit of, of history. Um, in the 1970s is when the, uh, th there was the first Earth Day, and the concern in the 1970s was something called global Cooling. Good try, though. Global cooling, right? In, in the 1970s, what everybody was so concerned about was something called global cooling. Huh. Then it moved to global warming. And now, you don't tend to hear as much about global warming. Now what we hear, the term that is used by so many is the term called climate change. Huh. What seems to be universally accepted is this, the climate of the world is changing. But what there's so much disagreement on is why. And what does that mean? 
You had global cooling, you had global warming, you have some, some scientists who are now saying that global cooling might be making its way back again. So what should our worldview, what should our worldview as Christians tell us about the environment, about climate change? Well, the Christian worldview speaks of a creator. It speaks of an intentional design. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. And I hope you've realized that now the last three sermons, and this will be the fourth sermon in a row, we have went back to Genesis chapter 1. When we're looking at cultural issues and things that we deal with, it's amazing how much is in Genesis chapter 1. But open your Bibles with me there this morning, and we are going to work through the majority of Genesis 1. We're not going to look through it all. I know it's a lot of reading here today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I only put one verse up because here, here's what I want us to do. I want us to pause for a moment because this is important in establishing the Christian worldview on this issue. In the beginning. The beginning of what? It's not the beginning of God, right? Because the Bible says that God always has been and always will be. But in the beginning, the beginning of this earth, the beginning of the universe, of the sun and the moon and the stars, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. See, we're told of, of a creator God. One who's intentional in his design. One who knows why he's putting this here and this there. That means that there was no random explosion where something came out of nothing. Or something came out of something which came from nothing. Or something came out of something which came out of something which came from nothing. There has to be intelligent design. There has to be a creator. And that's what our worldview tells us. That's what the Bible tells us. Look at verse 2. The earth, was, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. As you close your eyes and picture what this would be like, everything is, is without form. Everything's void and everything's dark, and the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the waters. In verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. We now have a creator God who's created light. And in verse 6, and God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the water, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the, the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and morning the second day. Do you understand that there's a creator God who intended intentionally put things in specific places for intentional reasons. Look at verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let dry land appear. Are you happy for dry land? Can you imagine living on a boat your whole life? Some of you could. Some of you love the water, right, Greg? I'm looking at you. You love the water. I don't know. I guess you get over seasickness after a while, right? God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Look at verse 11. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation 
plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which is their seed, and according, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and morning the third day. Let's pause here for a moment. What, what have you noticed? Have you noticed anything so far? And we're flying through Genesis 1. I apologize, but we're gonna, we, there's a lot more we want to move into today. There's a creator who's, by definition, creating with intentionality, right? God didn't just create a tree and say, well, that's, that's the only one of that one, right? Instead, there's seeds that can then be used to create more trees in the future. But as you look at all of these things, you think of how great and amazing the creativity is of God. Have you ever watched the show Shark Tank before on TV? Did you ever see Shark Tank? Right? It's a fun show to watch because of the creativity of the creators. I sit there and I look at the, like the guy that made the Scrub Daddy. Do you know what Scrub Daddy is? Did you ever see that? He was one of the first ones to come on Shark Tank. And what he did is the sponge with a smiley face on it. And this guy never has to work another day in his life. Cut a couple holes in it and they sell it at Bed Bath & Beyond. God did a little more than cut a couple holes in a sponge. As you read through Genesis chapter 1, it's mind-boggling thinking of everything that happened in the beginning. Look at verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let, them, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Do you understand that God has set things with intentionality on this earth? There's a purpose for each and everything that he creates. And just so you know, I wasn't trying to throw the scrub daddy guy under the bus. I'm sure he put a lot of work into building the enterprise that he did. And I thank God for creativity. I thank God for creativity. We're going to skip all the way down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. In the beginning of chapter 1 of Genesis, we see so much. We see there's a creator who's creating with intentionality. We see that the world is his. His powers know no limits. He created two human beings, male and female. He made them. This God designed DNA. He designed the way that things work, the way that things were supposed to happen. He instilled the atmosphere. He created things like oil and coal and water. 
But one of the main things that we see in Genesis chapter 1 is that God told man to rule over creation, to subdue it. See, our focus in this life must be bringing the gospel message to people. That must come first. Is the earth's climate changing? Yes, it is. There's no denying that. Some of you remember growing up when the winters were very, very cold. Maybe you got a lot more snow. Some, see, some winters we get way more. There isn't disagreement about the climate change, and the disagreement is why, and then what should our response be as believers? But see, God created everything with a purpose and gave the man responsibility of subduing it and being a good steward of it. And so we look at that, we also realize the climate's changing, but one, one of Satan's largest distractions is that he wants believers to be distracted with things like climate change. I really believe that with all my heart. See, the enemy is looking to distract you and deceive you he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The earth will not end prior to God saying that it's time for the earth to end. Think about that with me for a moment. All of these doomsday predictions that you hear, 12 years, 10 years, 30 years, 100 years, my worldview says, the word of God says, that this earth will remain until God says so. So we, ne we need not live in fear. There was, I, I was talking with someone a number of weeks ago whose perspective I highly, highly value. And I shared what I would be preaching on through this series. And, and this one, this particular person highlighted. And he, he asked me this question, and, and he did it for this sermon, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said. He said, Tony, do you think that God's worried that climate change is going to end the world? Do you think that God's worried that climate change is going to end the world? Job chapter 12, verse 7 to 10 says this, But ask the, bees, the beasts and they will teach you, the birds of the heavens and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you, who among these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life, this is what I want to highlight here, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. So we know who holds the future. We know who ultimately has the final say. Are you worried about things like climate change? Is that something that scares you? Politicians and climate activists have spent so much time trying to instill fear in the hearts of many. If you go back and look at 1970 when uh, the first Earth Day was established, I believe that's when the EPA was established as well. Some of the predictions that were made by biologists and other scientists from other degrees, I mean, they're apocalyptic, the predictions that are made. 50 years later, we're still here. If you're interested, go back to when global cooling was a thing and look at some of the statements that were made. It's fascinating to look at some of the similarities of statements that are made today regarding what's now called climate change. 
See, we know that as long as God has this earth here, because there is a day when the earth will no longer exist, but that's not in the hands of you and me. That's in the hands of the Almighty, right? Amen? Amen. That's in the hands of the Lord, right? But we know until that day, there will be seasons on this earth. How do we know that? Well, you know when God brought the flood back in the beginning of Genesis. Look at Genesis 8, 20 through 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done while the earth remains. And who has control of how long the earth is here? The Lord has control of how long the earth is here. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Is the climate changing? Sure. Are we to be afraid of that? No. I don't know if you're familiar with answers in Genesis. Um, very interesting uh, Christian organization. Uh, a lot of really good stuff. I think we even use some of their stuff for Sunday school here. But um, they have a lot of really good stuff about climate change as a whole and, and just providing a, a biblical perspective on a lot of it. But I, I took one statement out from what they wrote, which I thought was very interesting. We, we only have data regarding climate change that goes back until 1880. 1880. So really not that long ago when you look at the history of the world. Um, but we do have, what we do have is we have historical evidence outside of the recorded temperatures and things like that. And let me, let me read you what they say. And, and in no way um, are they saying that this is the only solution. But this is it's very fascinating. Um, historical evidence provides a different perspective on global temperatures during the last two millennia. You can find this statement on their website. There is good evidence that the climate in the northern hemisphere was warmer about a thousand years ago. The Vikings were able to farm in Greenland. After a few hundred years, they stopped farming due to a cooler climate. The temperature continued to decline for a few hundred more years, and the Thames in London began to regularly freeze. The decline in temperature reversed course in about A.D. 1700. If this warming trend continues, it may again be possible to farm in Greenland, and the sea ice in the North Atlantic may again be scarce. They give a, an estimation. Again, you can go on their website and look through it. But he says, while we cannot be certain about what is true in ancient times from either historical or scientific data, the historical observations seem more reliable in this instance. From this limited data, it appears that the global temperature cycles around mean temperature, around a mean temperature, and has been slightly warmer in recorded history than it is today. There is no reason to panic. See, as believers, we know that there is a God who controls all things, who created all things, and who knows all things. There's a song that, that, that kids sing in children's worship, right? And it was sung in children's worship when I was in children's worship, and probably when you were in children's worship. And it goes, he's got the whole world in his hands. You know that song, right? I'm not going to ask you to sing it, right? But he's got the whole world in his hands. Do you really believe that? Do we believe that he really has the world in his hands? That he's really the one who holds all things? But the reality of it is that many people, in, in a lack of looking to their creator, have worshipped what God created. 
Romans 1.25, because they exchanged truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. I'm not saying that if you are trying to help with renewable energy sources or you recycle or any of those things that you're worshipping the creature or, or God's creation, but instead there are some people who have went this far, even Christians, where that's the most important thing in their life. I believe we all should want to leave a better planet for the next generation than what we had. Yet we need not live in fear. So what can I do? As we've done, worked through this whole series, we always come to the end of what can I do? What should I do? What should my response be? You know, okay, I know the climate's changing and there's different thoughts on it. Some think that there's a, a mean average. The earth goes from here to here. Some think that global warming is, is what's happening. Others believe that there was global cooling is coming back. Well, the reality of it is, is the Bible tells us how we are to live our lives. And it tells us that we're to be a good steward of what God has given us. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. We're told to be wise and to be good stewards of what God has given us. So as we have done other weeks, let's look at some practical ways to do that. We live today in a nation of excess. You know what I mean when I say that? It means you go to Giant and you can look and you see 20 different types of Hearst potato chips lined up and 20 different types of Lay's potato chips on the side and 15 different types of Uts potato chips. And if you say, you know, I don't shop at Giant, I shop at BB's, BB's is still excess. You never know what you're going to get at BB's, right? It's always something good. But at times that mentality of excess even plays into our own lives. How many of you brush your teeth? See, and it, and it shouldn't be, it's, there's no excuse. You're wearing a mask, you still got to brush your teeth, all right? That's what, you still smell that through the mask. Actually, Greg could probably tell us which ones brush and don't brush your teeth. <laughs> but when you go and, and you go to brush your teeth, do you leave the tap water on? Did you know that leaving the tap water on while you brush your teeth wastes about five gallons of water per person? So let's, let's do a little bit of math. Oh, this will be fun. Five gallons of water, five gallon jugs. See, when I was in Bolivia, we didn't have clean drinking water, right? We had to filter everything or boil everything. And what we would do is we would take a little cup about this big and we put a little bit of water and you take it upstairs and you get your toothbrush wet and you brush your teeth and you rinse the toothbrush off and you're done. Maybe that much water. What's easy to do is to walk to the faucet, put your toothbrush under, brush your teeth, and let the water run. For many, the only time that they would actually turn the water off is if their drain was clogged and it was going to overflow. But if you waste five gallons of water, if you, brush, if you brush your teeth once a day and you waste five gallons of water, that's 35 gallons a week. That's 1,820 gallons per year. That's 18,200 gallons in 10 years. If you brush your teeth from the age of six to the age of 36, once a day for about two minutes and you leave the water on, you'll have wasted 54,000 gallons of water. So when you talk about living in a nation of excess, I realize you pay the water bill. Yet there comes a point where we are to be good stewards of what God has given us. Turning that water off, I mean, can you imagine 
54,000-gallon 54, gallon jug. That's only 30 years for one person. If you have a family of five, I mean, just continue to multiply and see what that would really look like. A simple solution to working to be a good steward. What about turning the lights off? Simple, right? That was really, really interesting as I was studying this. Um, the, you're only supposed to turn the lights off if you're going to be out of a room for more than 15 minutes. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I guess you end up using more electricity if you're just turning the lights on and off all the time, right? And so if you're going to leave a room for more than 15 minutes, turn the lights off, it saves electricity. Maintain and take care of what God has given you. Your home, your land, your animals. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, in the way that we live our lives, everything that we do should be done for the glory of God. And if we're told to be good stewards, that, that includes maintaining, taking care of what God has given us. And for different people, it's different. Maybe it's an apartment. And that's what God's provided for you. We maintain and take care of that apartment. Maybe it's a home. Maybe it's your room. Maybe it's your dog. Recycle. Why wouldn't we as Christians recycle? Well, <laughs> for myself, it was laziness, to be honest. See, when we lived in Halifax, you had, to, you had to bag all your recycling up, you had to separate it all, and then you had to drive it about three miles down the road. So we had to actually store all our recycling up if we were going to do it. It's pretty easy in Quarryville. You just throw everything in the same uh, trash can, and they take it, and they go through it there. But for me, it was laziness and it was convenience. Yet it's something that we can do to reuse what God has given us. To be good stewards of what God has given us. So I, I can go through, I, there, there's so many things that we can do. And, and what I wanted to do is just give you some practical ways, things to be thinking of, of, of how we can be good stewards of what God has given us. But there's something, there's something here that's very important. Believers must realize that the earth is temporary. And one day when God determines that it will be destroyed, not because you drove your car too much, but because of God's righteous wrath. And I truly believe that Satan has blinded the eyes of many. See, the earth will not last forever. It, it won't. But you know what does last forever is your soul. And the souls of everyone around us. And what we do is we, we have to make sure that our priority in life is actually going and sharing the gospel message with other people. So you can spend forever trying to save the world, but it's not going to be saved. But as believers, we must with urgency spread the message, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the true hope of humanity. Because I'll tell you something, there is a great existential crisis that's facing the world today. And it's not climate change. The greatest existential crisis that's facing the world today is the problem of sin. A problem that will send millions of people to hell for choosing to deny God. Yet you and I, we have, we have the answer. We have the solution. Our efforts, our energy, our strength 
needs to go into carrying the gospel message to every corner of the globe. And while we do that, we must be good stewards of what God's given us. Yet our priority is to bring glory to God by carrying the true message of hope. So should we take care of the earth? Of course. Yet the whole conversation around the environment, climate change, global warming should remind Christians of how temporary this life is and how our window in this life is limited and that true salvation for humanity is only found under one name. And that's the name of Jesus. I'm going to close reading this psalm today. And uh, as I read, the worship team will come back up and we'll sing our final song. Psalms 148, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens and praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his hosts. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth you great sea creatures in all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth and the heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. Would you pray with me? Great God, we thank you that, Lord, you are the one who is in control. Lord, we thank you that we need not live in fear. Lord, help us to be a good steward of what you have given us. Help us to live life with a proper testimony. Yet, Lord, may the most important thing always be in our life in realizing that one day this earth will pass away. But what you've called us to is the saving of souls. What you've called us to is carrying the gospel message. And Lord, may we be faithful in that. May we not be distracted. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.